Welcome back to G5 Football Daily, the audio accompaniment to our G5 Football coverage on Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. And excited to talk to you for the second time this week. Did our little uh, Week 12 preview and our Week 11 recap in the last episode. And uh, in this one, we're just uh, talking through some of the coaching news that's been coming around uh, the G5 the last couple of weeks. we got some jobs starting to open up and uh, some candidates that are on the rise, some interesting ones to talk about. So rejoining me for this discussion, uh, my good buddy Eric Henry of Horns 247 and 247 Sports. Let's uh, let's dive into it, Eric. Joe, what is going on, man? I am glad to hop back on here. Hop back on here. Hop back on the line. Second time this week. Talk a little G5 football. Shout out to the folks at 247 Sports who uh, allow me to come on and talk a little ball with you. Appreciate you having me on as I'm coming to you live from the heartland. America, the place that is given us the start of plenty of presidential campaigns, uh, amongst other things, Des Moines, Iowa. That's uh, that's the place to be, I think, in Iowa. I, other than Iowa City, I, which might spark some <laughs> conversation amongst Cyclids fans. But Eric, before we dive into it, there's one piece of kind of football adjacent news that I don't know if you saw. Did you see the press release from the college football playoff? this afternoon concerning the musical talent lineup for those games. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I Well, I thought you were going a different direction with the press release. No, I have not seen that. No, sir. Okay, so there, there's one that clearly does not fit the criteria of the other ones, in my opinion. So I'll, I'll just read them off real quick. John Party, Jack Harlow, Jake Owen, Lotto, Megan Maroney, and Kids Bop. <laughs> Was that last one Kids Bop? Yeah, kids bop. Oh, like, okay. right. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. I guess, and and that's this is the CFP, correct? Not not this not the Big Twelve Conference. Correct. This is the College Football Playoff. Okay, I, I just wanted to make sure because you know the lovable commissioner of the Big Twelve Conference has uh, had some questionable music choices uh, in, in over the year uh, that he's been, you know, commissioner of the conference that he's looking to make the the conference of Gen Z. So I, I initially, when I heard that, thought it might have been him. But oh, okay. Kids bop, CFP. I'm with it. Everyone's got kids, right? So, or some people, or some people have kids. That's just everybody has kids. Some people have kids. So, I, I hope everybody doesn't have kids because I didn't, un- <laughs> unless I have kids and I'm just finding out about it now, which would be par for the course for the Listen, year. Listen, man, I, I'm I'm running on four hours sleep. Forgive me if I fumble a word here or there. All right, I'm, just as long as we keep this a G-rated podcast, that's my goal. Oh, uh, of course. We'll we'll keep it uh, tuned for all generations. And including Gen Z, who apparently really loves Nelly, according to the. Uh, <laughs> there we go. You stuck the man in there, Joe. <laughs> There'll be nothing like a uh, a gaggle of Gen or what are millennial sports writers at the Big Twelve title game shaking their tail feather. To oh yeah, I I will be watching with a single bandaid under my eye for sure. Listen, Apple bottom. It, 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 I wouldn't. I would never objectify anyone in the press box. However, if Nelly's there, it should be a requirement that male, female, or otherwise, you are wearing apple bottom jeans. <laughs> I can see it when uh, when Texas makes the uh, Big Twelve title game. Well, I'll look out for uh, Steve Sarkeesian to be wearing those on the sideline for sure. All right, big uh, big first job opening in the G five. Eric Andy Avalos out at Boise State um, after a few years there, and interesting thinking about where this program moves forward. Uh, we we heard from Jeremiah Dickey, Boise State's AD, in the last week or so, just talking about 
the thinking behind this hire or this firing rather and where they want to go from here. And, you know, just to cut it down to like one or two sentences, the big thing that he said that stuck with me was they realistically think they can make the college playoff in the expanded format if they okay. just tweak things a little bit. So that's kind of why they want to go with somebody who can get them to that level. And I, I kind of get the thinking, like if you're not in a place where you think your program can take advantage of the resources you have, whatever that may be. And Boise state has a lot of resources compared to a lot of other G5 programs. Then you want someone that can maximize that. And, and, and uh, Andy Avalos wasn't doing that. No, I, I apologize for, for audibly speaking while you were, you know, um, talking there, but I hadn't seen that. So the, the logic there absolutely makes sense. I agree with you. Right. I, I think Joe, uh, or Sue, I should say, I agree with him. There are, probably half a dozen to maybe nine G5 teams in my mind. Well, well let's think with half a dozen. Mm-hmm. But I think in this expanded format, the the ceiling just got higher, right? And you have to say to yourself, are we doing what we need to be doing to be competing for those spots, right? Because, I mean, Joe, let's just use Boise as an example. You probably have at least five, if not more seasons over the past 15 ish years of Boise state football that had there been an expanded format, they would have qualified. You know, I, there's, there's no doubt about that in my mind. So I absolutely understand it. You know, I was looking at it from the perspective of, well, Andy Avalos, you take a look at his record, 22 and 14, had a 10 win year last year. It felt to me like it's just too much shuffling. Well, we've talked about Hank Bachmeyer, you know, kind of um, being ushered out and now there's still even more quarterback shuffling. I, in my mind, I looked at that as a reasoning in conjunction with this being a really stagnant year for Boise at five and five and said, all right, you know, I can see making the move, but I, I, I feel, you know, even more emboldened to, uh, to say that this is a, a right, the, the right time or a good time to make that move considering the logic there. So I'm, I'm fully on board. I mean, again, I look at it and, and, and I think, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think that sets the bar for, again, you're probably looking at a Boise state. You, you take a look at, a Memphis, uh, a Tulane, you know, maybe like, you know, one or two, your top two teams from the American in my mind. I, I think you, you can almost throw in, you know, like a, like a Fresno, you know, teams that are perennially eight, nine plus win teams amongst the group of five ranks and say, hey, if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, and we're competing at a regular level at the conference level. And we have those one or two years in which we're 10 and one, you know, 11 and one uh, and, and such. Then we should be knocking on the door right there for a CFP, um, you know, spot every at least once every three, four years. So I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'll, I'll just say I mentioned on the last episode we did, I think there's a connection between this move specifically and like what UNLV did last season. Um, you know, I think the Mountain West, depending on how you handle the scheduling and that kind of thing, I think you can realistically build a, a strong enough schedule to get those kind of looks. And if you are able to perform in those big games, uh, like like Barry Odom has done with UNLV this year, I think that's the connection there. I think they saw like, oh, UNLV took a coach that was doing fairly okay, you know, in Marcus Arroyo and then swapped him out for Barry Odom. And now they're maximizing their roster for sure. And I think they want to do something similar at Boise state this year, but obviously two different programs, UNLV 
having their first, you know, really good season in well, what, 10 years. Um, and right. they're, yeah, but anyway, that's, that's the kind of interesting thing for me. And, uh, you know, so, so let's talk candidates, I guess, Eric, to replace Andy Avalos and, uh, the job there at Boise State. It's a desirable job. Uh, another thing from that press conference with uh, Jeremiah Dickey, he did note that it's not going to be a uh, sure thing um, or it's not going to be required rather for uh, the candidate that ultimately gets this job to be someone with Boise State ties. They are open to kind of going outside of that, you know, family tree that they've kind of been accustomed to following the last uh, several coaching hires. but. Um, you know, I, I think some of the best candidates or some of the most desirable candidates anyway for the job are former Boise State guys. You know, I, you know, particularly I think this one is a little bit pie in the sky because I don't see why he would want to leave his current job. And, and you know, because of the, the pay and the momentum he's gotten all that. But Kellen Moore, the uh, current L.A. Chargers offensive coordinator, I think makes a lot of sense. But again, I, don't, I, I just don't know if he's like a candidate who you know, would want the job considering right now he's, he's got a pretty good gig with, with the chargers. And then, you know, I, I think the other one, Eric, that I'm, I really do want your opinion on is uh, Brian Harson, the former Boise state head coach, <laughs> former Auburn head coach, who's got enough money to live um, off of that Auburn buyout for a while. So I don't know if he would even really want to, to kind of come back and, and deal with, you know, being a head coach right now when he doesn't have to, but he lives in Idaho a lot of Boise State ties, obviously. So I don't know. What, what's your thought on this name that keeps getting brought up uh, for the Boise State head coaching game? You, you probably heard me laugh there. You can tell we've done this podcast a long time because the name I had written down on my you know little piece of paper here next to me is Brian Harson. I, I, I keep coming back to that one mainly because they have been consistent as far as Boise State ties. And why not go down that rabbit hole again? You know, I mean, again, if, if he's open to it and, I, you know, I, I, I tend to, I guess the longer I'm around coaches, Joe, these people can't quit it. You know, they, they, they listen, Jimbo Fisher got a, what, 70 something million dollar buyout at Texas A&M. And guess what? He'll be back in two years. You know, the, the, the amount of time that these people spend in the facility around players, so on and so forth. It's like, what else are they going to do with their time besides probably annoy their wife? You know what I mean? Like, I so I absolutely see Brian Harson, despite the fact that yes, he has a sizable buyout. I see him being a factor. A name I'm going to stick with the LA Chargers, but I'm not going to go Kellen Moore. I'm going to go Jimmy Lake. Um, he's someone who has Boise State ties as well. Former Washington head coach, believe memory serves me correct. Jimmy Lake was a offensive coordinator at uh, at Boise back in the day. Was he off? No, sorry, he's a DB's coach. I apologize, a DB's coach at uh, at Boise mm -hmm. State. But you know. Uh, he's a guy who's, I mean, he shuffled in between the buck, in between the bucks, in between the NFL. I'm sorry, folks. I promise I'm going to try to keep this thing together, but I'm running on little sleep. He shuffled in between college and the pros. He, uh, he spent some time with the Bucks in 06 and 07, and again in 2010 and 2011 with Detroit in 08. Um, then, of course, you know, had the 10-year uh, stint in college, now back in the NFL. I could see him you know, being a name it's, if they want to go down to that uh, Boise State tree again. I, I would insert his name in there as well. Yeah, I can see that. I, I don't wonder if considering the, you know, it, it wasn't exactly the most graceful exit from uh, Washington when he was the uh, head coach there. Uh, so I'm curious if you would really want to get back into the college game and kind of the nuances of that uh, area again. But to, to add another Washington Husky to the mix, uh, Ryan Grubb, uh, current UW offensive coordinator. I think he makes sense. 
Um, I think we we ran something a couple of days ago that said he was like a six to one. That was the odds of him getting the job. Um, but he's done some great things with the Husky offense. He's he's gotten a lot out of obviously guys like Michael Phoenix Jr. and Roma Dunze. You know, I think you're working with a slightly lower, you know, sure thing in terms of talent at Boise State, but it's not by much. I mean, you know, think about what he could have potentially done with a guy like uh, Talon Green this year and a guy like, or even a guy like Maddox Matson, who's also very solid. I think that's kind of the big thing for me in terms of whoever they get. I think you've got to go offense, yeah. in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone who has an offensive speciality, just, and if nothing else, to make sure that you can maintain some of these really talented young offensive guys that they have. Taylor Green still got some eligibility. You've also still got Maddox Madsen, in my opinion. I think one of them transfers either way. Um, Ashton Jensi, who's been phenomenal, uh, sophomore running back there. And then if they can get Eric McAllister back, that would be huge. Who, you know, I don't know if you saw Eric, he hit the portal um, two weeks ago before that uh, final game for Andy Avalos. And uh, reportedly, according to some some of the uh, Boise media guys, he's open to coming back to the team now that Avalos is no longer there. So anyway, I mean, I think nothing against Avalos personally, but I think right now you've got so many offensive pieces. You want someone to come in and be able to maximize those in order to accomplish the things they say they want to accomplish. No, I'll just quickly add on. The reason I was co-signing with you is, in, in my mind, while it's not that Boise State hasn't had solid defenses in the past, I, every time, you, in my mind, you think Boise State football, you think talented offensive guys, and you think the areas that they tend to recruit from. In my mind, you got to capitalize on that, you know, even from the the West Coast, obviously the uh, you know Pacific Northwest, but mainly California as well. So, um, mm-hmm. so I, I, in conjunction with what you said, I do think an offensive mind is probably the best hire. California, Texas, and I, I will say for a school kind of tucked up there in, you know, the Pacific Northwest or close to it anyway, I think they do a better job of recruiting Florida and Texas than people give them credit for. I mean, they, they've got some really good, they've had some really solid kids from those areas. I believe Ashton Genty is uh, a Texas kid. And then even going all the way back to uh, Jay Ajayi, you know, he played his uh, high school ball down in Texas as well. Yeah, he's from, uh, well, I guess technically he's from both Ashton Gentry, uh, born in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and then played his high school ball in uh, Lone Star, Texas. But anyway, yeah, they I think they do a better job of recruiting those really talent-rich states than people might give them credit for, and you want someone to come in and continue that trend. Um, but that's kind of the thoughts, that's the thoughts rather, on the Boise State job. Other one I want to talk about for a couple of minutes here, Eric, was San Diego State head coaching vacancy that's going to come open in 2024. Seems like they are going to move uh, very quickly. San Diego State's AD said in an article that uh, the San Diego Union Tribune ran that they want to try to have a candidate in place uh, in a month's time or somewhere in that vicinity, which is, uh, you know, optimistic. But I get why they want to do that, considering early signing period and all that. Uh, but Brady Hoke retiring at San Diego State at the conclusion of the season. Um, I see why they are uh, taking the steps. And I think it's great that they are coming to a, a mutual conclusion. He's done so much for the school. He's accomplished a lot. But it's it's no longer working the way that you want it to. So I get the move. I'm glad that there's going to be a harmonious ending to uh, his tenure there because he's done a great job. But I don't know. What's your thoughts on that job coming open, Eric? Joe, um, again, 
going to co-sign everything you said there as far as Brady Hook, what he's done for the program. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't just a couple of years ago. They were a 12-win team, right? So, I mean, it's not as if in the second stint he's been, you know, really bad. It's just that, you know, this year, obviously, three and six, not, not what you'd want. But I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I don't want to say in, endorse, but I would have no issue if they won Ryan Lindley uh, for that job. I think you keep it in house. You, you keep someone who the younger offensive mind, someone who has history with that program. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head if he's the school's all time leading passer, but I know he's got to be at least top two or three. I, I'm just being honest. I mean, uh, I, I guess you'd have to take a look at some of the names that are out there um, come, uh, you know, the end of the year. But I think especially someone who has a feel for that area is a San Diego native. So knows the landscape. I would have no issue personally, Joe. I mean, I'm just trying to maybe talk myself out of it. I think there's any reason I wouldn't go that route, but I'd have no issue giving that job to Ryan Lindley. I can definitely see that. I'm wondering if because of the, typically you see kind of those in-house hires come on the, uh, on the heels of like a successful season. Right. And they're just not doing that. I definitely think you want to try to uh, retain Ryan Lindley at the very least if you can. Right. But yeah, I I agree. He'd do a a solid job. I just don't know if John David Wicker SDSU's AD would, would necessarily want to, you know, do that if just because of the on field results, nothing against him, you know, personally and, and what he could do, but I don't know. That's my thought on him. Tony White, I think, is another guy that's interesting. Uh, he's Nebraska's defensive coordinator. He was an assistant at uh, San Diego State for like eight years. He was a DB's coach and the recruiting coordinator. So definitely has the potential to kind of you know maintain what they've uh, continued to do as far as recruiting in, in Southern California and, and some of those other talent-rich areas as well. You know, I think I think there's another one, you know, uh, Ryan Grubb, I think, is also one. I, I mentioned him for the Boise State job, but I, I also can see why he would be attractive to this job as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, someone someone mentioned to me, Zach Arnett, the, the coach that was uh, Mississippi State's head coach that just got fired. I don't I don't think he's going to jump back into a head coaching role right away, um, which, you know, nothing against him. But, uh, you know. I just don't see that happening personally. And then I think another one that's kind of an interesting idea is uh, Will Stein, Oregon's offensive coordinator. And he was actually UTSA's offensive coordinator prior to that. But he's a young guy. He's only 34. He's got a lot of momentum. So I I could definitely see Will Stein getting an offensive uh, or getting a head coaching job, rather, if not uh, in this cycle and and maybe the next one, because he's doing some really nice things. All right, next, now that we've talked about the two open G5 jobs, let's, uh, let's, let's do the dirty task of uh, thinking about who might be next in terms of jobs that might be opening up for one reason or another in the group of five. So, you know, Eric, I'll, I'll let you bat lead off, um, but I think we probably have a lot of the same candidates in terms of uh, G5 jobs that may be looking for some of these uh, candidates on the rise that we're going to talk about later in the show uh sooner rather than later yeah joe i'm gonna shuffle around a bit so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna start in conference usa and a job that i if put to you this way i would put this one on the lower end of the thing of scale uh, on lower wow bear with me folks i'm gonna put this one on the lower end of the scale as far as 
things opening up. But Middle Tennessee, I do wonder what Rick Stocksell's future is. Um, the AD there, who, of course, I, I should know off the top of my head, and I, um, um, geez, this battle I'm running off of sleep. Chris Massaro um, has shown no, um, no, you know, real inclination of the making a move. But I just wonder, Rick Stocks looking a little bit older. I, I always felt, Joe, and I wonder where you kind of fall on this, that the natural line of transition was essentially going to be to Brett Stockstill. Um, but, you know, that that is maybe just what we're thinking. Who knows if it's, you know, plus another option. One other CUSA job that I think I'm keeping my eye on is UTEP. Um, Dana Dimmel, listen, that program struggled for a long time under Sean Kugler. Uh, they went to a, a bowl game. I think they've gone to two, one or two bowl games under Sean Kugler, but really struggled. And Dana Dimmel did a great job, you know, really working the, the JUCO ranks and, and influxing talent, infusing talent um, to that roster. But it has not worked out. And the biggest thing we've talked about it at nauseum, Joe, is just an inability to get the most out of Gavin Hardison. I think you can tie, and I hate to, you know, I'm not pinning the you know UTEP's lack of success directly on Gavin Hardison, but you can just take a look at the quarterback's most most important position on the field, and take a look at the fact that they never really got him to take that next step as a quarterback. And as a result, you know they've shuffled through, and now at three and seven are kind of almost you know back to to where they were. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it almost al- almost I should say because they had a couple of years you know back in the what you know when Danny Dimmel took over and it was Kyle Loxley year one they were going what like one in one in ten or something like that so I shouldn't say back to where they started but you know they've got a bit of an uphill climb also you know it's kind of taking a look at things UMass I thought Don Brown had things going better direction the second time around there but it doesn't seem kind of as I've said in the right direction I think he may get another year just because you know they went with the young hiring Walt Bell a few years back that didn't work out uh, Don Brown obviously you know, in his second stint, had a lot of success when that was an FCS program. So, you know, maybe they're going to give him a little more rope. But I'm kind of curious where, where, where that one goes. Um, and one more that I'm keeping my eye on, again, not necessarily saying that I think things are going to open up immediately, but Akron, uh, Joe Moorhead, you know, who, who's had a lot of success at Fordham and, you know, also was at Mississippi State as well. You know, they've kind of kind of failed to take that next step. Again, they've kind of, you know, just hovered around that, uh, you know, two, three, four win mark for a while. So those are a couple jobs I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah, I mean, here's one, Eric, that I think may not open up this cycle, but I definitely think it's worth keeping an eye on over the next 12 months. And that's Central Michigan. You know, Jim McElwain, he had the number one recruiting class in the MAC uh, this past cycle. And they're, they've got one more chance to make a bowl game and they got to do it against the defending conference champions next week in uh, Toledo. And this just comes after what's weird is they extended him this past February. They gave him a three-year extension after a really bad season in uh, 2022. Um, I, I forget what his, his record was off the top of my head. I believe they, obviously they missed bowl eligibility, but um so I think that's one that you have to start seriously considering if it's time to to move on from the former Mountain West Coach of the Year back when he was at uh, Colorado State in 2014. Other ones, uh, you know, I don't know. As far as as far as the Sun Belt, I'm not saying I want to because I like a lot. I like all those coaches in the Sun Belt, honestly. But you know, you have to start wondering. At what point you're going to, you know, let Terry Bowden keep working, which hurts to say, 
but you know he's only at two and eight again this season, and that team has showed a lot of promise. They've been in a lot of close games. I'll give them that, and it's a it's a it's a tough rebuild. But yeah, it, at some point you got to wonder whether or not you're competing at the level you should be. Uh, Ken Wilson at Nevada, um, you know they didn't win a game for like 14 months at at that point. You know you look at what they've done this past season and with uh with two games left they are they are two and eight to start the year and they only won two games uh last season so i I know that he just started last season was his first with the wolf pack but i I don't think that's you know an acceptable result really anywhere to to go you know back-to-back seasons and win at this point less than four games so that's that's where you got to start really considering what next step should be for that program. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting you talk about Nevada. I think a big thing that you got to keep your eye on, and I think he'll get another year, but Joe, UNLV's ascent. You know, that, that, yeah. that, that to me, in my mind, those little in-state things matter. Um, and especially with UNLV having been dormant for, you know, a while, and Nevada being the team that had a lot of success, even going back to, you know, Colin Kaepernick, Jordan Love, and even prior to then Carson Strong. I mean, plenty of great players, you know, come through Nevada. Once you start seeing that flip on its head, then things kind of get interesting. Wouldn't Jordan love Utah State? I, I well, I, I'm completely blank there. I, I, yeah, Jordan Love was a Utah State quarterback. Thanks for saving me there again. Apologies for for those listening to this podcast. I'm I'm running on on fumes here. Oh, no worries, no worries. I, I just want to make sure I wasn't misremembering things. Uh, but yeah, so those are some jobs to keep an eye on. And then uh, what about coaches on the rise that might get shots to either jump from the P5? or rather jump from the G5, it's both of us today, Eric, to jump from the G5 to a Power 5 opportunity or possibly someone who's a coordinator or an FCS coach that might get an opportunity at one of these uh, G5 jobs opening up uh, either now or in the next uh, you know few weeks once the final results of the season roll in here. Well, I mean, a couple of FCS guys have been on my mind only because they've been in, whether it's previous coaching searches or just in the cycle. I'm going to go to Florida A&M, Willie Simmons, former Middle Tennessee State assistant, current Florida A&M head coach, 42 and 13 uh, in his time there in the SWAC, formerly in the MEAC. So I had to kind of pause there for a minute because I'm just so used to F, uh, FAMU being a MEAC team, but, you know, been the SWAC. And listen, Joe, they did one of the things that that's very hard to do, HBCU football, and that's make a FCS playoff appearance because you know HBCU teams just typically are not um the strength of schedule amongst reasons they typically don't get you know playoff spots and he's had that team ranked in the top 25 of the FCS ranks three times in his career and they're nine and one looking at another spot here um another another potential spot in the playoffs so that's super interesting and even going back Joe to his time of Prairie View I mean overall the guy's got a 63 and 24 record uh has been a head coach now for nine nine seasons um eight or nine years eight seasons i should say because of course in 2020 florida and did not play uh football due to covid but yeah i mean I, I just take a look at a guy there and i think he he's worthy another one that who has had a short stint as an fbs head coach scotty walden i mean scotty walden was at the time i think the youngest head coach in college football east east texas baptist when he was 26 27 years old he's got an opportunity there um under former east texas baptist head coach josh ergel who was the 
uh, offensive line coach at FIU, gave him his first shot there, made him an offensive coordinator of, what, 24. Um, so Scotty Wall has been in the game now for, again, we'll look at it here, uh, 11, 12 years. Has had some success. Again, I think he's a guy who, you know, maybe was a, a bit of a – Joe kind of looked at it as like a, for lack of a better word, a gimmick, you know, because he, he had a job at East Texas Baptist, then ended up on the staff at uh, Southern Miss, was a receivers coach from 8 to 2017 to 2018 co-OC 2019-2020, and then had a four-game stint. That was a weird year for Southern Miss, if anyone remembers, in 2020, if they had three head coaches. It was Jay Hobson, Scotty Walden, and I wonder if I can remember the third off the top. Uh, Tim Billings. Tim Billings was the guy. There we go. Um, so that was a weird year where they had three head coaches. But I think it was looking a little bit gimmicky in that, uh, all right, here's a young guy, you know, really fiery. If you know anything about Scotty Walden's personality, you know, it's it's I, I don't want to say quirky. He's not like the Mike McDaniel quirky, but he's just – He's a young guy, you know, kind of prides himself on being cool and, and being innovative, but he's had success. Again, he, he took over. He left the Southern Miss job after four games um, as the interim head coach to take the head coaching role at Austin P. They went four and two in their abbreviated COVID year. They went six and five, seven and four, eight and two. So has shown steady progression, steady climb. So uh, getting that job after Will Healy left for Charlotte, that's another one. And then lastly, you know, one I know you don't want to, this is what talk about, but G.J. Kinney, I mean, he's just a guy who's on the rise and what he's done at Texas State. Of course, they've kind of, I don't want to say, you know, stalled, but, you know, they they um, um still looking to, you know, finish their season strong. He's a guy who I think legitimately could be one and done just because of his previous ties, um, his previous uh, experience prior to Texas State. So those are three names I'm keeping my eye on. All solid. I think one, uh, as far as coordinators, is uh, Texas Tech. Offensive coordinator Zach Kitley. I think it, he, coming back to the G5 for him uh, could prove to be a really strong move for some program uh, in the next year or so here. Obviously, he's credited with um, developing Bailey Zappi and really running that. The best version I think we've seen of uh, Tyson Helton's offense at Western Kentucky. And uh, now he's, he's, you know, maintaining a solid body of work at Texas tech is alma mater. I think he could be an attractive candidate to uh, some of these teams that want to run that kind of fast paced band of wow, that fast paced brand of football that's uh, benefiting a lot of programs. And I think the best example this year of that type of offense is um, probably UNLV with just how fast they're playing. And, you know, we, we still see kind of uh, at, at moments, Western Kentucky's played really well, obviously kind of a disappointing year for him, but that's one to keep an eye on. I think if either GJ Kenny or Jeff trailer does end up taking another job after this year, not saying they will, but if it does, I think you have to give uh, strong consideration to Will Stein. Like I said, Oregon's offense coordinator, former UTSA, uh, quarterbacks coach and and offensive coordinator there as well. Um, and then current Montana State head coach, Brent Vegan, uh, V-I-G-E-N, uh, not like the vegetarian folks. But um, yeah, I, he's done some really nice jobs with uh, Montana State the last couple of years. They played a really competitive conference in the big sky. Uh, I believe they got to the, uh, yeah, they got to the title game last season right i believe um and then the yeah the or they got to the final four last season and then they were in the uh conference or they were in the national championship game the year prior so i think it's only a matter of time before they give him a shot at uh, a bigger opportunity outside of bozeman montana 
Yeah, I mean, those are, you know, really interesting names as well. I think in, in my mind, Joe, and I'm kind of curious where, where you land here. <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. If you take an FCS head coach, guys like Willie Simmons, for example, and you kind of juxtapose them compared to maybe a current FBS OC, how do you kind of, just in your mind, where do you think the tide goes there? I think in my mind, Joe, I don't think there's enough credit given to the job that some FCS head coaches have done. And I see some of these, you know, for lack of a better word, hotshot offensive coordinators, offensive minds get 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 opportunities. And I, I just wonder if, you know, some guys at, at the FCS level are kind of getting lost in the shuffle, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, I mean, I think they totally are, which is interesting because I think, you know, Deion Sanders, I think, is going to be this big litmus test for all of college football to see how much it actually translates to go directly from the FCS to a job like Colorado, where, yes, they're a power five job, but it has been a long time since they've been nationally relevant in the way that they are currently with uh, Coach Prime at the helm. But ultimately, seeing what his tenure translates to, at least for the first year, in terms of wins and losses, ultimately is going to have this trickle-down effect, in my opinion, for a lot of these FCS guys, for guys like Willie Simmons, for guys like Brett Vegan, uh, to kind of show that, like, yes, it's a smaller market and all this stuff, but yes, it does, you know, translate into, you know, having, you know, maybe not immediate playoff berths on your mind in the FBS, but can certainly, you know, jump from the FCS to the FBS and, and be competitive and relevant, at least within your conference right away. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week, but check back next week and we will talk more and more about the G5 Conference title races. We've got one more week after this weekend of the regular season before we dive full-blown into postseason football. It's been a wild ride. Thank you all so much for listening to the show every week uh, in this new format. It's been really fun. Uh, We're going to keep continuing to uh, do this as much as we possibly can. And uh, it, it's, it's, it means a lot that folks have followed us from the previous iteration of the show. Um, but if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore Eric from 247 Sports and Horns 247, who I'm sure will be joining us again very soon, uh, is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And if you want to follow his work on that network, highly recommend you do so. And if you want to follow the show at G5 Football Daily for clips from the show and uh, that sort of thing. And if you just Google G5 Football Daily, if you're not already reading us in addition to listening to us, uh, please do that. That's how we make money. Um, it's, uh, yeah, just Google G5 Football Daily. You know, find us on Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation Network. Happy football, everybody. We'll talk to you guys. Soon.